0: So, we're uh, week four of this series, and we've called it Platitudes, Proverbs, and Promises. It's the hardest title I've ever had, like, created to, and I, I can't remember it every week. It's, I, I don't know why we called it this. It's just difficult to remember. We called it this, though, because every week we're like, here's a platitude. What's a platitude? It's like a worthless saying that kind of disguises itself as a truth. And then we share a proverb every week. It's a truth. The, but the, the hard part is sometimes proverbs, we turn them into promises, and they're not really promises. And then we always land on this. There's some truths from God's word that we can count on all the time. So can I walk us through three of these? Here here it is, ready? The platitude of the morning is this. God wants us to be happy. (laughs) I want that, don't you? Raise your hand if you want to be unhappy, right? I mean, God wants us to be happy. It, It sounds right because we want it, you want it, but it leads us to this next statement that really is not true, So do what makes you happy. (laughs) Isn't that what got you into trouble? Isn't that actually what kind of got you into trouble that got you back into church? Welcome back. So glad you're here. (laughs) So just do what makes you happy. It's kind of a way of baptizing your own plans, your own thinking, your own way of doing it and like baptizing and blessing it and kind of pretending that God is on our side. Do you know where this misguided truth comes from? It comes from the American dream found in the Declaration of Independence that you will recognize as I read it. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of, yeah, good Americans, way to go. But it's interesting. We know that that's a statement about not oppressing people to keep them away from pursuing their dreams, right? We want opportunities for everyone. But the reality is that because God's mentioned in there, our creator, that we think that surely then God must want us to be happy. And can I be honest with you? This, that's not God's end game. God's actually way more concerned with our holiness than our happiness. And because of that, in the scriptures, you'll read again and again and again these verses about how God wants to transform us, change us, make us more like Christ, that we might adopt his family values when he adopts us into his family. So it brings us to this proverb that's, um, that's this truth related to this. And the, the, the proverb reads this way, Psalm 1830. God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. See, if we're actually seeking our own happiness, then we define what's good and what's fitting for us. We make our own plans, but here's what's interesting. Listen to this. It's actually an indictment against us that we don't really believe this verse, that God's way is perfect. Because if we're gonna do what makes us happy, we're not asking God, what would make you happy? What's the thing that you desire? Because honestly, there's moments where I think I know better than God, don't you? There's moments where you don't ask God, like, hey God, what do you want with this? Because you already know what you want. Do you believe that God's way is perfect? Now that's the Old Testament, book of Psalms, right? Can I just show you where this shows up in, uh, in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, chapter eight, verse 28, pretty famous verse. Bet some of you've heard this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And we know, not in some things, but in all things, God works for the good, not the happiness, but for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. God, working for our good, for our transformation. And I admit this, Romans 8, 28, um, this actually is more of a promise than it is a proverb of the New Testament, because it fits this, this category where all the time, God is always working for our good. It's hard to explain sometimes moments of incredible pain and loss that we have, but let me bring this up to you. Do you remember times in your life where you're like, man, I was so close to God? Yeah, I was really pursuing him back then. Or man, I really felt his power and his presence. Do you think of a time in your life when when you felt that? What was happening in your life? It probably wasn't a comfortable time. Can I just tell you the moments that I've been closest to God are are in my desperation. And I see him do something amazing. But when I am lonely or in fear or I'm concerned or there's this huge thing in front of me that, God, what are you going to do with this? It's never in my comfort that I'm like, oh, man, God, I'm my lazy boy today. I just saw you be so amazing. It's not. When you think back on those times, I just want us to realize that growth, growth happens through hardship. Listen, if God made our lives comfortable, easy, he would actually ruin us. Think about it this way. Parents in the room, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're a parent. Yeah, doesn't matter how old your kids are. How many of you, you, your goal was to make your kids happy? You ruined them. <laughs> now, by that, I mean this. Did you always give them what they wanted? Chocolate chip ice cream for breakfast, mom and dad, that would make me happy. And you would ruin them. In the same way, we don't want God just to give us the thing that would make us comfortable. There's often something that gets in the way, though, of our transformation. Are you ready? When God's word states, hey, do it in this way. When God's word states, I want you to make a moral decision this way. Hey, this is how you're to treat people. Hey, these are the standards that we should hold. Hey, these are the family values that you should choose. What gets in the way of our transformation? It's us, right? We make a choice that's just different than what God wants us to. To make Well, let me just say it this way. We fail to stay in step with what God wants for us. We fail when we're tempted. We're tempted to do life on our own terms and how we want to just make us happy. Hey, Look at me real quick. If any of you are frustrated because you feel like there's something in your life that you just keep failing at, and you said a thousand times, I'm never going to do that again and you keep doing that same thing again, I'm so glad you're here today. Because there's a promise of God that is for you today that you're going to be so excited about. And I'm with you. Can I tell you one of mine? I've tried to take things um, out of my vocabulary, what I say that offends people. And we live in a world that is easily offended. And can I just say that um, I'm not trying to, to bow to that There are some things that I tend to say in the past that are offensive. I'm like, wow, I'm going to try and take that out of my vocabulary. And um, I would tell you what those words were, but then it'd be in my vocabulary and I would fail. So it's none of your business. But it's crazy because before my mind can catch up with my mouth, that word slips past my lips. I'm like, oh, and you can't take it back, right? Man, I feel at this all the time. You know how frustrated I am when I look in the mirror? And like, man, if that church knew, surely they wouldn't even want you there on a Sunday morning. See, there's a cycle that goes through that's called guilt and shame, and then you start looking at yourself as worthless. You think I don't go through that? i probably go through it more than you do. You know what we should do is just let, let y'all come up here and take turns preaching the Word on Sunday morning. Then you'd know. Uh-huh. Don't get too excited about that. (laughs) I think you all know what I'm talking about, though. I mean, you have said, never again will I say that. Never again will I go there. Never again will I call him. Never, ever again will I cross that line. And then what happens, right? You cross the line. But here's the great news. Are you ready? Are you in 1 Corinthians chapter 10? I want you to go down to verse 13. Because there is a promise from God there, and it reads this way. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. You can underline that. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God is faithful. God never fails, but how? He he explains it in this verse. The temptation that you face is not stronger than you and Jesus together. That's what that means. Listen, the the temptation, you know, the platitude that says, God will never give you any more than you can handle, right? That's not true. He gives you stuff more than you can handle all the time so that you'll seek him. God, help me. This promise is that the things that you face will not be bigger, stronger than, more overwhelming than you and Jesus together. The second part of that promise is great though. He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. It means this, are you ready? I mean, you could write this down. It's not in your nice, but here it is, ready? Write, I have a choice, okay? I have a choice. At the brink of losing your temper, at the brink of making a false statement, at the brink of calling your ex, at the brink of visiting that website, at the brink of spending that money, at the brink of taking that drink, at the brink of saying those hurtful words, at the brink of doing that thing that you said, I'm never going to do it again, you have a choice. Because God's promise is that there's actually a way out. Now, before we start running ahead too far, you're all good Bible students, right? It's one of the things we talk about, like, hey, look at the word, check context around it. Let's check context to see if this is actually a promise. Go up to verse one. This is written by Paul, and he actually tells us a story about when God was leading his people out of Egypt, and he uses his people as an example. He writes this, "'For I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, "'brothers and sisters, "'that our ancestors were all under the cloud,' And they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. First of all, that's crazy. He's like, no, Jesus was the one who was with them in the desert. So, what was the cloud? If you remember that Old Testament story in the book of Exodus, that cloud, that pillar of cloud, by day would lead them. When it moved, the people moved, they followed it. What was the sea that they walked through? You remember, You know this, right? You've watched the Disney movie. The waters part, and they walk across dry land. Not only did it save them, but those waters swallowed up the Egyptian army, killed them all, the enemies that were chasing them. And then he calls it this. That was their baptism, Now, it's an interesting word. You don't hear baptism in the Old Testament because, like, oh, that was their baptism. What's baptism? It's the symbol when you go underwater, the death of your old life, your old sinful ways, and they were raised to this new way of living, this new way of following God. He calls it their baptism because he's saying this. Your old Egyptian ways of living are dead, and you're going to rise up, and you're going to follow me. It's going to be a brand new way of living. In the midst of this, though, this new life that they were being transformed and they experienced, pause for just a moment, like they, they walked through the Red Sea. Can you imagine what it must have been like? That you walk through the Red Sea. I mean, you touch the wall of water and you get on the other side and you, your family, all the people are saved. The enemy is gone. And then it says this, verse five. Nevertheless, and man, when it was all good and everything was great, and then you hear the word nevertheless, this is bad. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Here's the consequence. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. They died. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. (laughs) Okay, that's not encouraging news. He goes on in the next verses to say this. Uh, Moses, who was God's leader at the time, goes up to the mountain. The plan was he was going to go there 40 days, uh, meet with God. God would then send him back down with more instructions. Well, while he's on the mountain, the people are like getting restless. And they're like, hey, Aaron, Aaron's the number two guy in charge. We're going to gather up some gold that we took out of Egypt. And uh, we want you to make a golden calf for us so that we could bow down and worship this golden calf because that's how we used to do it in Egypt. Moses comes down the mountain and he sees all of these people just in crazy revelry and bowing down to this golden calf. And he's like, what just happened? You knew and experienced the goodness of God. And then a short time later, you rejected him. Can you imagine someone ever doing that? Come on, come on, come on. How long you've been walking with Jesus? When did you say, Jesus, I will follow you. And there were some things in your life set in motion and you experienced the goodness of God. You had an answered prayer. Some things came together. You knew that God was with you. How long did it take you to start choosing some things other than God's way? Come on. We can read the story about these people. Who were with Moses and go, what a bunch of dumb knuckleheads. I'm the dumb knucklehead. I mean, it doesn't take me long to go, wow, that was amazing. You want to know honestly when some of the worst moments in my life were that I faced temptation? It's after a camp when I would speak at camps. You'd see like 30, 40 of these students come to Christ and people rededicate their lives and you're like, oh, it was so amazing. God, you used somebody like me to to be able to be a part of that. Thank you so much. And the drive home, like my mind is just other places. The week to follow, losing my temper, losing my cool. Like how long does it take me to start acting like one of those guys? It's not long. Here's the example. The Israelites, they experienced God's presence, protection, provision, and privilege, but they failed anyways just like me, and just like you? I'll leave that as a question, okay? And you can answer it. Where does temptation like that live? There's a guy who um, was a church leader in the fourth century. His name was Ephraim the Syrian. Um, This is what he said. He said, the absence of Moses on the mountain simply gave the Israelites the opportunity to worship openly what they had been worshiping in their hearts. They didn't even need someone to tempt them with an idol. They simply produced one out of the wickedness of their own hearts. Where does temptation live? Come on, it lives in us. You know what? I don't even need the devil to tempt me. I do a pretty good job of messing up my life all by myself. We can blame the devil. And I think there are moments to say, evil spirit, be gone. I'll pray that way at times. But I'm feeling like, man, there's something that is dragging me out. Here's the warning. The very next verse in verse 12, he says this, and this is his point. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Here's his warning don't be overly confident about your strength. Hey, Christian, be careful. You're probably not as strong as you think you are if you're doing life without Jesus. Man, you know what? Last week I was doing really good, but you know I've been doing so good. Like, I could probably go two weeks without reading the Bible, without spending time with God. Be careful. You overconfident one. Don't be overly confident about your strength. Because Paul's just saying, listen, it's happened for millennia where God's people have said, Oh, yeah, thanks God so much for your protection, your provision, your privilege. And then they walk away from Him, which leads to this promise in verse 13. Are you ready? The promise is this temptation doesn't have to overpower you. That thing that you keep failing at, it doesn't have to overpower you. Here's the choice no temptation. Has overtaken you, except that is common to mankind. You're not the first person that went through it. And God, He's faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. There is nothing stronger than you and Jesus together. But when you're tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This verse silences the voice that says, I can't. I don't have a choice any longer. And I I will admit to you this. There are some habitual things that we do that like we don't feel like we have a choice. And I'm not sure we do have a choice unless Jesus interrupts our world and says, here I am, walk with me. I'm not going to get into the mechanics of the mind and how our sin actually creates pathways that become easier and easier and easier for us to sin all the time. Okay, maybe I will. You know, neuroplasticity says this, that when you start doing things different and you start learning things out of the word of God, that you can, the neuroplasticity is that your brain can reformat, refunction, create new channels that you don't have to do life the way you used to do it. There's actually a science behind this, but God spoke to it way before they ever knew the science. He's saying no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to everybody. But God, he is faithful You don't have to give in to it. Um, If you Google image searched a weather vane, do you know what you would see? There's an animal that's typically on a weather vane. You know the weather vane? It sits on top of a building. They're metal and they rotate, but they always point in the direction that the wind's coming from, right? You with me? If you Google searched that and did the Google search image search, what animal would you see? It's a It's a rooster. You guys are so smart. Why is it a rooster? (laughs) Have you ever thought about this? You know where it comes from? It comes from churches. Indonesia. It's a place where churches see a lot of persecution. And they were one of the first churches in their weather vane to put a rooster on top of the church. You know what it reminds them of? It's when Peter failed. Do you remember? Jesus said, hey, Peter, you're going to fail me. Before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. And what happens? Peter fails him, right? But Peter also, after the resurrection, Jesus comes back to life. Jesus meets him on the beach and he says, Peter, do you love me? And in shame, he says, yes. Knowing that he's failed him. And he says, Peter, then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? You know, you know I do, Lord. I love you. Then take care of my lambs. Peter, do you love me? And Peter gets it finally. Three times he denied him. Three times in this moment he's asking, him, do you love me? And he's like, Jesus, you know I do. His failure is just written all over him. And Jesus at that moment invites him to lead the launch of the church. And Peter, stand up and lead. Because I'm not done with you yet. You see, the rooster on the weather vane on the churches in Indonesia, it represents two things. One, there's a persecution that will come to you. But with Jesus, do not give in the way that Peter did. But if there's failure, I want you to know this, that the same way that Jesus reinstated Peter, If you fall in temptation, Jesus invites you to get back up and be a part of his family and be a part of his church. Listen, if this verse, no temptation, has overtaken you, that you don't have to fail, that he'll always provide a way out. If this is a moment of discouragement to you, put a weather vane on your house if you have to. It better be a rooster, though. I want you to be reminded that failure is not the last thing that God sees in you. He sees his son in you, his son's righteousness, and there is hope, and there is a new life that he has in store for you. But before I kind of get off too far on this, there's actually a second promise in this, and I don't want you to miss it. This promise, number two, actually comes from the words of Peter himself. So knowing that backstory, listen to what Peter writes. It'll show up on the screen. I'm going to quickly go through this. He writes this in Second Peter chapter 1. He says, His divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for a godly life through two things. Through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them... We may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption caused by evil desires. You and I have everything we need to grow up spiritually. We're without excuse. So here's promise number two. Here it is, ready? God is transforming our character through two things, our knowledge of him and his promises. God's gonna change you. If you're a Christian, If he's adopted you into his family, he's going to change you and he will change you through your understanding and knowledge of him. By the way, where do you get that from? Starts with B, ends in Ible. He's given us his word, but it's not just as our knowledge of him. He also says, I've given you all these promises. I'm with you. I'm never going to forsake you. I will always be there. I'm active in your life. I'm the one who's doing the transformation. There there is going to be temptation in your life, but not such that you have to cave into it. These are all promises. But it's interesting because Peter doesn't stop there. It's like, hey, just trust Jesus and it'll all be okay. He then says this, and let me give you this second part of the promise and then read the scripture where it comes from. To embrace God's transformation of us, we must constantly stay in step with his path to maturity. Let me say it this way. If our knowledge of God is in here, and if his promises are in here, then we have got to feast on what it is that he's given us. And so he then says this, for this very reason, this is verse five, for this very reason, make every effort. This is not a passive thing. This is a, hey, engage. Hey, go do this. Don't just sit back and let God try to do this all for you. Make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, to your goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. I don't think you actually have to go down in that order and be like, okay, I'm gonna check off this one today and that one tomorrow. He's giving you a basket full of how God wants to transform you but make every effort. Can I tell you what the greatest effort is? Put this in your head and in your heart. It'll change you. He goes on to say this, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. The mission of our church that I'm going to be unpacking on September 7th is this. Our mission is displaying the irresistibility of Jesus so that lives are transformed. This is one of those key concepts, one of the key passages about transformation that God wants to do in our lives. Can I just tell you, he's given us plenty of promises. Let me just give you some. I'll never leave you or forsake you. All who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. The promise that temptation doesn't have to overpower you. The promise that there's a way out and a way to endure it. The promise that he will be changing us and transforming us. But that promise doesn't mean that we don't put effort into it. These promises require a response to make every effort to grow in our faith. Listen, you will fail. I'm a great reminder of that. I fail all the time. But God's grace... It's greater than any of our failures. His grace, though, does not negate our efforts. So make every effort to grow up in your faith. Make every effort to grow up in your faith. If you're frustrated with your relationship with God because you feel like you keep letting him down, please hear that promise. He's changing you. He's transforming you. He loves you so much, he doesn't want you to give up. But you've got to embrace the promise of God that you have a choice. I don't have to say yes to that thing anymore. And so I'm just curious today. I think there's some people in this room that probably need to say yes to his promise, that you need to embrace it. To say yes to, God, I believe I have a choice. And the next time I am faced with that temptation by your strength and your power, help me to say no. But can I say this? Don't think you're going to have that power if you don't change any of the habits of your life about growing in Christ and adding to your faith goodness, right? And growing in the knowledge of who he is. So maybe some of you, the choice is this. You're going to grow up spiritually and you're going to start changing the habits of putting God's word in your heart. One of the values of our church is tattered Bibles. We've been wearing out Bibles since 1850. That's how long our church has been around. I invite you to do this. Wear out a Bible by learning it and studying it. Can we bow our heads and close for just a moment? I think it's distracting if we're all looking around, and I just have two questions for you. The first is this. I think there's some of you who are so tired of failing that you've given up that maybe you've given up on the promise that there's a way out of your temptation. And I want to pray for you and I want to pray with you this morning. If that's you, if there's any desire to see that cycle end, that desire you're feeling right now, God put that in you. You didn't get that on your own. But he would love it for an opportunity for you to pray that and say, God, change me. God, show me the right next step. There's a second group, maybe in here, that some of you, you've never become Christians. And today, you're ready to. Eyes closed, heads bowed. I got a great email this week. It's like the best email I could ever get. This person emailed me and they said this. They said, I'm ready to cross the line of faith and be baptized. Can you help me with those next steps? Woo! It's the best email ever. I just opened that this morning. And maybe that's you. And you don't want to just pray a prayer, but you're ready to be changed by God, to stay in step with following Jesus so that your life is transformed. So let me invite both groups. If today's a turning point for you, I mean, you're either saying you want to become a Christian or you recognize today that you've put up with and you've accepted sin in your life and you're ready to embrace the promise that Jesus Jesus has made a way out and you're gonna take steps forward towards spiritual maturity. If that is you, either one of those, here's what I want you to do. Eyes closed, heads bowed. I want you to shoot your hand up in the air right now and I just wanna pray for you. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna call you out. But if today is a turning point in a time of change, then put it up, leave it up for just a moment. There's hands all over the place. I'm going I'm to pray, and you can use your own words. Maybe you'll pray these words, um, but I, I just want us to pray together. Here we go. God, sin has had a grip on me, but I believe the promise that you're greater than my sin. Your death, I believe God paid for my sin, and I ask for your forgiveness today. And God, I trust you. I trust that you will, in the next minutes, in the next hours, and the next days, that you will be with me, that God, you will strengthen me, that as I read your word, that you will show me and provide a way out of my sinful ways. God, I commit to taking steps to grow in my faith. Help me to know clearly what they are. God, I want to learn to live out your word. And I declare today that I trust you, Jesus, to transform my life. And if you agree with that, would you say amen? let's stand together we're gonna sing but let me say this if you made any kind of turning point decision today don't let that be the great secret in the room tell your family tell your friends tell us send me that email you can stop me after service but don't let that be a secret because when it's life change you're gonna start letting people know all right let's stand sing together